Hello, this is Utah Phillips, and you are listening to Loafer's Glory, the hobo jungle of the mind. I am Topper Lambert, one of the surviving Toppers charged with the light brigade in Balaclava. I am now going to sound the bugle that was sounded at Waterloo and sound the charge as was sounded at Balaclava on that very same bugle. On the 25th of October, 1854. Well, I bet you never thought you'd ever hear that. 1854, I guess that uh, cylinder was made in... Oh, I guess 1890, another one of those Edison cylinders. Trumpeter Lamphrey at the charge of the Lamp Brigade, one of the great military disasters of all time. And we are in Nevada City, my hometown, which is sort of a retirement community for those who remember when wedgies were shoes. This is going to be a program about war. And sometimes my spirits sag a little bit, especially after tax day when we were informed by our local newspaper that the entire federal taxes from Nevada County could buy one half of a jet airplane and still a bad investment at that. Jeanette Rankin, the senator from Montana, said, trying to win a war is like trying to win an earthquake. Well, all right, let's dive into it. Spanish-American War. Here's a poem that I'll recite for you contemporary with that event. Uh, yellow legs and pugs, but uh, for you kids that are listening, pug means pugilist, pugilist means boxer, all right? And then we'll follow that up with a song, one of Joe Hill's unknown songs about the Spanish-American War um, and about the war profiteering that went on in it, uh, stung right, sung, of course, by the great Fred Holstein of Chicago. If soldiers all were pugilists, there would not be a war. For pugilists would want to know what they were fighting for. For instance, if Tommy Atkins had been told to beat up Herman Schmitz, and Herman had been told to blow the other into bits, and if they had been pugilists, they would have answered, No, we will not fight unless we get a section of the dough. We will not risk our arms and legs and shed our ruddy gore, while you who fatten on the fight make millions by the score. Although it's a noble stunt to redden hill and dale, we will not fight unless we get a portion of the kale. And thus the worldwide warfare would be ended in a minute, for bankers would not start wars if there were nothing in it. As I was walking round the town, I saw a sign one day A thousand men by Uncle Sam are needed right away To take a trip around the world in Uncle Sammy's fleet I signed my name a hundred times upon a great big sheet Oh, I was stung right, stung right, S-T-U-N-G Stung right, stung right, easy mark, that's me But when the term is over and be given free There'll be no more trips around the world for me
said, now Sammy's crew, it is no place for slaves. For everything you have to do is stand and watch the waves. But in the morning at five o'clock, they woke me from my snooze to polish brass and clean the deck and shine the captain's shoes. Oh, I was stung right, stung right, S-T-U-N-G Stung right, stung right, easy mark, that's me But when my term is over and be given free There'll be no more trips around the world for me Oh, there was a time when Uncle Sammy had a war with Spain and all the boys in Bonnie Blue were in the battle slain. Not all were killed by bullets, no, no, not by any means. The greatest part were killed by far by armors, pork and beans. Oh, I was stung right, stung right, S-T-U-N-G. Stung right, stung right, easy mark, that's me. But when my term is over and be given free, there'll be no more trips around the world for me. Well, my old friend Fred Holstein. Well, wasn't it Gamble Rogers who said we are a group of square dancers dancing in some vast existential minefield? <laughs> I'm going to string a whole bunch of things together here because I think together they tell a story, so let me tell you what they are. I'm going to recite another poem for you by Bertolt Brecht called General, You're a Tank. Now, the most popular song in 1916 was I Didn't Raise My Boy to Be a Soldier. I have a, an original recording of that by the Peerless Quartet. By 1917, when we entered the First World War, that song was banned. You couldn't hear it anywhere. The most popular song then was George M. Cohan's Over There. I have a, an original recording of Nora Bays, who first introduced that at the Palace Theater. Robert Service, of course, is known for his cremation of Sam McGee and the shooting of Dan McGrew, but he was an ambulance driver during the First World War. He wrote a book about his experiences, uh, The Ballads of a Bohemian, The Winter Section. You'll hear one of his poems called, Was It You? Then a song from my grandfather that came from my grandfather that I'll sing for you, which is a First World War trench song, and I think the best anti-war song I ever heard. And then very, very rare, we'll round that out with an Irving Berlin anti-war song called Stay Down Here Where You Belong, which was never recorded until 1970 when it was finally recorded by Groucho Marx. Let's go. General, your tank is a powerful vehicle. It smashes down forests and crushes a hundred men. But it has one defect. It needs a driver. General, your bomber is powerful. It flies faster than a storm and carries much more than an elephant. But it has one defect. It needs a mechanic. General, man is very useful. He can fly and he can kill. But he has one defect. He can think. to the war have gone who may never return again. Ten million mothers 
great for the world who died in vain. Head bowed down in sorrow in her lonely years. I heard a mother murmur through her tears. I didn't raise my boy to be a soldier. I brought him up to be my pride and joy.
Get your gun, get your gun. Johnny, show the hun, you're a son of the gun. Hoist the flag and let her fly. Yankees, Show your grit, do your bit. The Yankees do the ranks from the towns and the tanks. Make your mother proud of you and the old red, white, and blue. Over there, over there. Send the word, send the word over there. That the Sammies are coming, the Sammies are coming. The drum, drum coming everywhere. Young Jones, with your tie so gay and your pen behind your ear. Will you mark my check in the usual way, for I'm overdrawn, I fear? Then you look at me in a manner bland as you turn your ledger leaves, and you hand it back with a soft white hand and the air of a man who grieves. Was it you, Young Jones, was it you I saw, and I think I see you yet, with a live bomb gripped in your grimy paw and your face to the parapet, with your lips a snarl and your eyes gone mad with a fury that thrilled you through. Oh, I look at you now and I think, my lad, was it you, young Jones? Was it you? Hello, young Smith, with your well-fed look and your coat of dapper fit. Will you recommend me a decent book with nothing of war in it? Then you smile as you polish a fingernail and your eyes serenely roam. And you suavely hand me a thrilling tale by a man who stayed at home. Was it you, young Smith, was it you I saw on the battle's storm and stench where the roar of rage and a wound red roar leap into the reeking trench as you stood like a fiend on the firing shelf and you stabbed and hacked and slew? Oh, I look at you and ask myself, was it you, young Smith, was it you? Hello, old brown, with your ruddy cheeks and your tummy's rounded swell. Your garden's looking jolly chic and your kitty's awfully well. Then you beam at me in your cheery way as you swing your water can and you mop your brow and you blithely say, What about golf, old man? Was it you, old brown? Was it you I saw like a bulldog stick to your gun? A cursing devil of fang and claw when the rest were on the run? Your eyes aflame with the battle hate as you sit in the family pew and see you rising to pass the plate. And I ask, old brown, was it you? Was it me and you? Was it you and me, is that grammar, is it not? Who groveled in filth and misery, who glorified and groused and fought? 
Which is the wrong and which is the right? Which is the false and the true? The man of peace or the man of fight? Which is the me and the you? And now here's a soldier's trench song from my grandfather's time. Beneath these low-hung rafters dwell the ghosts of the ones that we love. Now all their joy and laughter is heard in the skies up above. So stand to your glasses steady, the thoughtless are here very wise. We'll drink to the dead already, and here's to the next man who dies. Cut off from the land that bore us, betrayed by the land that we find. The brightest have gone before us, and only the doll left behind. So stand to your glasses steady, this world is a world full of lies. We'll drink to the dead already, and here's to the next man who dies. Not here are the glasses glowing, not here is the wine ever sweet. It's dark as our hearts are growing, and cold as the fate we must meet. So stand to your glasses steady, we'll drink to our sweethearts and wives. And again to the dead already, and here's to the next man who dies. Phelan and I were very friendly, and Harry Ruby and I surprised him. We sang one of his songs, which he hated. It was a song from the First World War. And the song went like this. devil talking to his son who wanted to go up above up above he said it's too slow for me down here and so the devil said listen lad listen to your dear role You stay down here where you belong. The folks above you, they don't know right from wrong. To please their kings, they've all gone off to war. But not a one of them knows what they're fighting for. Way up above, they say that I'm a devil and I'm bad. But the kings up there are bigger devils than your dad. They're breaking the hearts of mothers Making butchers out of brothers You'll find more hell up there Than there is down here below 
We were sitting at a table, and Ruby was at the piano, and Berlin called me over. He says, if you ever have an urge to sing that song again, if you'll get in touch with me, I'll give you $100 not to sing it. <laughs> but I still sing it. Yes, I think it has four wonderful lines in there. And it applies today just as much as it did 40 years ago. They're breaking. Have you got a key you're not using? <laughs> They're breaking the hearts of mothers. They're making butchers out of brothers. You'll find more hell up there than there is down here below. Groucho Marx. You, that's so, that's so, I'm so glad that I was able to find that. By the way, I have Tiny Tim singing that song, too. Uh, I'll play it for you sometime. Well, there's the Spanish-American War, World War I. Then there was World War II, Korea, Vietnam, Iraq, South Africa under apartheid, uh, the assassinations in Guatemala, Chile, Argentina, the Bosnian War, Rwanda, Paul Pot and the Khmer Rouge, the rape of Tibet by the Chinese. What do all these have in common? Pardon me while I rant. I don't have any rant control. What do these all have in common? They say the violence is increasing in the world, that violence is getting worse in the world. The thing these all have in common is that it's young men with guns. Women aren't doing it. Children aren't doing it. Old people aren't doing it. Disabled people aren't doing it. That's what they all have in common, young men with guns. We don't have a serious problem with violence in this world. we got a serious male problem. And if we can't deal with this problem in its most fundamental terms, we're not going to deal with it at all. But my friends, I assure you, when the last of the real men have fought the last battle of the North Pole over the last bottle of Lone Star beer, the meek shall inherit the earth, one of whom I intend to be. I'm chicken and proud of it. Chickens for peace, we're chickens for peace, and we don't want to fry. Chicken for peace, we're chickens for peace. One little war, and we're chickens. A chicken who bakes chickens for peace. We're chickens for peace. One little slip, and we're hard-boiled eggs. Chickens for peace. We're chickens for peace. But we're not chicken chickens. We're taking a stand. Chickens for peace. Yeah. 
Blind Kenny Hall from Fresno, California, one of the Western world's greatest musicians, greatest musician anywhere. Let's charge on some more into this here. Uh, I was a soldier over in Korea, and, you know, I, I enlisted. I was uh, pipelined over to Korea and made into a grunt with an M1 rifle in my hand. Uh, the thing that changed my life, that turned me around there, was listening to, in a, in a war-torn uh, women's university, the great Marian Anderson, Marian Anderson, the black soprano, coming to sing, singing for the Korean students. I'm going to tell you a story about traveling with my son Brendan when he was uh, in his middle teens, and I told him about Korea. And then, lo and behold, I found Edward R. Murrow's field recording of that Asian concert, that Asian tour that uh, Mary Nandesa did. So you're going to have a chance to hear her sing. My, yeah, Brendan, the, the 14-year-old, 14 he got to travel with me during the summer. We never traveled together at all. You know, the, since the kids been little, they've always known that I vanished from their lives periodically. And um, they uh, never really had the idea of what it is that I do. What do I do? I don't know. <laughs> if I don't know, why should they? I mean, I would just come home with pictures and with stories and with boxes of junk I'd picked up here and there and then uh, talk to them, you know, tell them bedtime stories about this and that, uh, things I'd seen, but they never knew what it was like. So Brendan could, this summer he could travel with me into the east, all the way up to Blue Hill, Maine, and, and to the Catholic Worker Conference to, to, to sang with, it, with Charlie King in Boston. And he could sell the records, you see, and do the calling ahead and do some of the work. And when he gets a driver's license, he can damn well drive these things, you know. But we got a chance to talk to each other as adults, you know, as, as uh, well as adults, instead of just, just father and son. We had, we had left Boston. Well, let me tell you a story. We left Boston. We were headed up to, to the Left Bank Cafe in Blue Hill, Maine. And uh, Brandon, just above Marblehead, uh, turned to me and he said, how did you get to be like that? Fair question. <laughs> I knew what he meant. I knew that he, but he didn't have all the language to say exactly what he meant. What he meant to say was, why is it that you are fundamentally alienated from the entire institutional structure of society? <laughs> and I said, well, I've never been asked that, you know. Now, don't listen to the radio and don't talk to me for half an hour while I think about it. So we drove and talked. We were on Highway 1 because it was pretty and close to the water. Got up toward the main border and there was a picnic area off to the side, some picnic tables. It was a bright, clear day. So I pulled into their parking lot. We sat down at the picnic tables and I said, now, sit down. Uh, I want to tell you a story. So I thought about it. When we sat down and said, you know, I was over in Korea, and he said, uh, yeah, I've always wondered about that. Did you, did you shoot anybody? And I said, as honestly as I could, I don't know. But that's not the story. I said, listen to what I'm telling you. I was up at the up at Kumari Gap there by the Imjin River. There were about 75,000 Chinese soldiers on the other side, and they all wanted me out of there. 
with every righteous reason that you could think of, I had long since figured out that I was the wrong person in the wrong place at the wrong time for the most specious of reasons. But there I was, my clothing was rotting on my body, every exotic mold in the world was attacking my clothing and my person, my boots had big holes in them from the, from the rot. I wanted to swim in the Imjin River and get the, that feeling of death, that feeling of rot off of me. The Chinese soldiers were on the other side. They were swimming. They were having a wonderful time. But there was a rule, a, a regulation against swimming in the Imjin River. I thought that was foolish. But then a young Korean fellow carp worked for us as a carpenter by the name of Yun Suk An. His, all of his family had been killed off in the, in the war. Well, he said to me in what English he had, you know, when we get married here, the young married couple moves in with the elders. They move in with the grandparents. But there's nothing growing. Everything's been destroyed. There's no food. So the first baby that's born, the oldest, the old man, goes out with a jug of water and a blanket and sits on the bank of the Imjin River and waits to die. Sits there until he dies. And then will roll down the bank and into the, into the river and his body will be carried out to the sea. And we don't want you to swim in the Imjin River because our elders are floating out to sea. Well... That's when it began to crumble for me, you know. That's when I, well, I ran away, and not, not just from that. I ran away from the, the, the blueprint for self-destruction I had been handed as a man for ex violence in excess, for sexual excess, for racial excess. We had a commanding officer who said of the GI babies, um, fathered by GIs and Korean mothers that the Korean government wouldn't care for, so they were in these orphanages. And, and he said, well, as sad as that is, someday this will really help the Korean people because it'll raise the intelligence level. That's what we were dealing with, you know. So I ran away. I ran down to Seoul City, down toward ASCOM, not to the Army. I ran away to a place called the Korea House. It was a Koreans, civilians, uh, reaching out to GIs to give them some better vision of who they were than what we were getting up in the divisions. And they hid me for three weeks. Uh, late one night, because they didn't have any clothes that would fit me, late one night, it was a stormy, stormy night, and rain falling in sheets. Uh, they, uh, they, I could go out, because they figured nobody would see me. We walked through the mud and the rain, and Seoul City was devastated. And they took me to a concert at the Awa Women's University. Uh, large auditorium with shell holes in the ceiling and the rain pouring through the holes and Clyde lights on the stage hooked up to car batteries. This wasn't the USO, this was the Korean Students Association. A person that they had invited to sing, I was the only white person there, the person they had invited to sing was Marianne Anderson, the great black operatic soprano who had been on tour in Japan, you see. There she was, singing, Oh, Freedom, and Nobody Knows the Trouble I've Seen. And I watched her through the rain coming through the ceiling and thought back to Salt Lake, to my father, Sid, who ran the Capitol Theater. It was a movie house, but it had been an old vaudeville house, and he wanted to bring live performances back to the Capitol. In 1948, he invited Marian Anderson to come and sing there. I remember we went to the, to the train station to pick her up and took her to the biggest hotel in town, the Hotel Utah, but they wouldn't let her stay there because she was black. 
And I remember my father's humiliation and her humiliation as I saw her singing there through the rain. And I realized right then, I said, Brendan, right then I knew that it, it was all wrong, that it all had to change, and that that change had to start with me. It is a distinct pleasure to be here this morning and to greet you in this close fashion. There is absolutely no doubt in my mind that some of you who sit here today will have the destiny of this country in your hands. And it is so very important that you do not let little things, things like hate and fear, destroy you, restrict you from being the kind of big person that you could be. And I might bring to your attention that hate and fear are two things with which babies are not born. And I have this morning a song which epitomizes this statement. got back from Korea, I was so tied down tight about what I'd seen and done, I didn't know if I could ever live in the country again. I just rode the freight trains for a couple of years, drunk most of the time. I fetched up in the Roper Yards of the Denver Royal Grand and Western Railroad. I had come back to Salt Lake, my home. There was a house down by the Roper Yards called the Joe Hill House, started by Ammon Hennessy, one of the Catholic workers, one of Dorothy Day's people, the Catholic worker movement from the, the Great Depression. Ammon Hennessy, wiry little guy. I met him in his 69th year. 
Ammon was a Catholic, anarchist, pacifist, vegetarian, draft dodger in two world wars, tax refuser, one-man revolution in America. I think that about covers it. Right off, he said, you know, you love the country. You come into town with these beautiful songs about marvelous people and places you've been. You know you love the country. You just can't stand the government. Now get it straight. He quoted Mark Twain, loyalty to the country always, loyalty to the government when it deserves it. An essential distinction I had been neglecting. And then he had to deal with my violence, my capacity for violence. I, I was violent in a lot of different ways, a lot of violent emotions and a lot of violent behavior. But he had to deal with that with everybody in the house, and he never called the cops. He was an anarchist. He dealt with with everything right there by himself, besides which if you're always calling the cops, nobody would use the place. He reached out and embraced that violence. He said, you've got to be a pacifist. I said, what's that? He said, well, I can't give you a book like about Gandhi. I can't give you a list of things, of principles, that if you sign it and subscribe to it, boom, you're a pacifist. He said, it's kind of like being an alcoholic. Uh, eventually, if the booze isn't going to kill you, you got to be able to acknowledge you're an alcoholic and then sit in a circle of, of people that are like that and put your hand up in the air and say, my name is Bruce, I'm an alcoholic. And then to begin to deal with the alcoholic behavior, have it described to you and deal with it. And it's never going to change. You could be dry for 20 years and you're still going to be an alcoholic. But it's going to save your life. And you're all going to be fighting against that next drink every day of your life. So it's the same with a pacifist. You've got to be able to do the same thing. Put your hand in the air and say, I acknowledge my capacity for violence. And then you're going to deal with that violent behavior every minute in every situation, every day for the rest of your life. But it'll save your life. So I said, okay, I'll try that. Ammon said, it's not enough. I said, oh, and said, you know, you were born a white man in mid-20th century industrial society. You came into the world armed to the teeth with an arsenal of weapons, the weapons of privilege, sexual privilege, racial privilege, economic privilege. You want to be a pacifist. It's not just giving up your hard, angry thoughts. It's not just giving up guns and knives and fists and clubs. You're going to have to give up the weapons of privilege and go forth into the world completely disarmed. That's hard. Ammon's been gone 20 years and I'm still at it. But if there's a worthy struggle in my life, I, I suppose that's the one. Well, here I am. I'm going to read you a poem now by Edna St. Vincent Millay. Right after that, we're going to listen to the original recording of the Fixin' or Die Rag by Country Joe McDonald. And then a song that I made up while I was riding the bus around or hitchhiking through the Northwest on tour during the Gulf War. A song called Yellow Ribbon. And then a little short but very stern lecture on how to live in peace. Then the St. Vincent Millay, conscientious objector. I shall die... But that is all that I shall do for death. I hear him leading his horse out of the stall. I hear the clatter on the barn floor. He is in haste. He has business in Cuba, business in the Balkans, many calls to make in the morning. 
but I will not hold the bridle while he cinches the girth, and he may mount by himself, but I will not give him a leg up. Though he flick my shoulders with his whip, I will not tell him which way the fox ran. With his hoof on my breast, I will not tell him where the black boy hides in the swamps. I shall die, but that is all I shall do for death. I am not on his payroll. I will not tell him the whereabouts of my friends, nor of my enemies either. Though he promised me much, I will not map him the route to any man's door. Am I a spy in the land of the living, that I should deliver men to death? Brother, the passwords and the plans of our city are safe with me. Never through me shall you be overcome. I've traveled round the country and I'll tell you what I've seen 
A million yellow ribbons and I've wondered what they mean It's love and hope and sympathy for those who've gone to fight Still I know that none of these can make the killing right When we see two children fighting, don't we try to come between We get them both to talk instead of acting rough and mean We give them love and limits, say now try to get along Then we tell them it's alright to kill, to prove that killing's wrong Sometimes that yellow ribbon tries to make me feel ashamed It tells me I'm a traitor, that somehow it's me to blame But I can't hide behind it just to prove that I belong And I won't be an accomplice to things I know are wrong But I'd wear a yellow ribbon for the peace that's in my heart I'd wear it for the loved ones who should never have to part I'd wear it for the wasted lives, no matter friend or foe And I'd wear it for the children if they never had to go Yes, I've seen the yellow ribbons hanging up all over town But I don't think they'll ever buy the peace we've never found The guns will all be silent and the battle flags all furled When we tie a yellow ribbon round the world The guns will all be silent and the battle flags all furled When we tie a yellow ribbon round the world It's Saudi duty time. Stop that. Hey, want something positive you can do in your own life to work for peace? Take a little time out. Search around in your body, in your muscles, in your flesh for all of the sore points, all of the, all the small pains, all of the, the tie-ups. Wad them up together shop around in your spirit, shop around in your heart for all of your fears, your anxieties, your rages. Reach into your mind and take out all of those ugly, deformed images that are poured in day and night. And all of those exploitive sexual images that are used to sell products. Wad all of that up into one tight ball down in your middle and in one final act of violence, pick up your television set and throw it out the front window. Then you can learn to live in peace with each other. Oh, well, I haven't had a television set in 17 years, and I'm a better man for it. I really do want to thank the Heishan World Fund of the Tides Foundation for making all of this possible. We're going to wind up now with the man who has the axe, the man who does it all, Pete Seeger. Up into, up into his early 80s, he recorded this song called I Am Searching. He's a man who gave his voice to the people.
still searching Yes, I'm still searching For a way we all can learn To build a world Where we all can share The work, the fun, the food The space, the joy, the pain And no one ever, ever need or want to seek to be a millionaire. Pete Seeger moves me right down to my socks. Well, all right. Try to remember that nature bats last. Thanks for your patience. This has been, and hopefully will continue to be, Utah Phillips and Wolfer's Glory, the hobo jungle of the mind. Here's Studs Turkle speaking Pete Seeger's words. O sacred world, now wounded, we pledge to make you free of hate, of war, of selfish cruelty. And here, in our small corner, we plant a tiny seed, and it will grow in beauty to shame the face of greed.